0: hello hello and welcome to soccer made in portland on OregonLive.com and stumptown footy my name is chris reifer and joining me as always the timbers and thorns beat writer for the oregonian and oregon jamie rudolph goldberg jamie rudolph how's it going
1: You didn't come up with a like christmasy themed b b uh middle name yeah you just no rudolph. rudolph is very topical okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh it it's going okay. It it feels very quiet all of a sudden. Um after after so much going on the last few months, all of a sudden it just goes from this high of covering playoffs and, and talking about what's gonna happen there and now the season's over. So um it's it's always a bit of a strange experience the first few days after a season ends.
0: Yes. Uh so so the Rudolph thing, I I you you didn't let people in on that. Uh, it, it is. It is now cold, and and apparently when when it gets cold, Jamie's nose turns a little bit on the red side. Uh, I just like like I felt like that couldn't go unexplained because <laughs> otherwise that just doesn't make any darn sense. Um, but yeah, so like, what do you, you know? What do you do when the season ends? We will be talking about that among other things uh, on uh, on this here podcast. Uh, but yes, uh, this is Soccer Man in Portland. Uh, let's start. Uh, I, I think is the, the the ordinary starting spot with the Timbers two one loss. Uh, to the Houston Dynamo in the second leg of the Western Conference semifinal. Uh, Our predictions for the game, uh, I said it was going to be a 3-1 Timbers win. I was more optimistic, uh, and I said Diego Valeri was going to score a legendary hat trick. Uh, You said it was going to be a 2-2 draw with an Alvis Powell goal. Um, You called the Timbers not going through, which I think makes you correct, albeit unpopular. Uh, I thought the Timbers were going to go through, obviously. Uh, but they did not. So Jamie Goldberg, go ahead and give yourself points knowing that the more points you give yourself, probably the angrier people are going to be with you. <laughs>
1: um, I'll just give myself six points. Um, mostly because I didn't actually call the result correctly or or anything. I, in fact, this wouldn't have gone to me anywhere in a, in a normal regular season game. Um, but I do think I get a little bit of points uh, cause I did, Call the 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 big picture, which was the Timber's season. Unfortunately, uh, me being the pessimistic one, coming to an end.
0: Yes, six points for you. I think if we were to ask our listeners, they would give me more points just because you know you decided to, to call the Timber's season ending, and th- that does not make you a popular person. Um, okay, so it looked really good, <laughs> and it looked like maybe I would be coming out on the on, on the uh, the the higher point side of things for like. Four minutes uh what happened <laughs> well, the, the Timbers took the lead by way of Dirona Spria's opening goal uh the Timbers really up until that point had been pretty dominant had been looking pretty darn good uh, against the Dynamo it was not a goal that came out of nowhere by any means uh it, it, Joe Willis had already made one pretty spectacular save on Dirona Spria so uh the way it came went down the guy who got it none of that was a, was a huge surprise the Timbers I think earned that first goal and then oh gosh it all sort of fell apart. What did you think happened? Why did you think it went so far south like that?
1: Yeah, I think the second goal um, changed the game. The Houston's first goal. I, I think that that's a goal the Timbers, you know, will look back, think that they can do better on. But essentially, it's a goal they give up on a set piece. The the foul that led to that set piece, you can look into. But um, they they do they don't do their very best on a set piece. They give up that goal. And suddenly I think the momentum shifts. And this is a team, uh, the Timbers at this point that are dealing with so many absences and injuries uh, that I, that I think it's difficult them going into halftime now, knowing they have to score uh, that the game's in a totally different situation than had they walked into halftime at one, nothing and given all the absences for them to be able to find a way to do that, um, find a way for their attack to, to get that going, despite having, And I think this was a significant part of it, despite having a a young rookie uh, playing forward, despite missing Sebastian Blanco, even when he came on, uh, he wasn't necessarily 100% with those burns on his foot, uh, missing some key players in their attack. And and Abobasi, I I just didn't think was up to the challenge. When the Timbers lost Darren Maddox, I I think that really changed the game and put them in a position where when that momentum turned, it was going to be even harder for them to find to get that goal back, and I I think that the absences kind of just caught up with them at that point. Had they been able to hold on to that one goal lead, I think going to halftime maybe the mentality changes. Houston has to change its game plan in the second half, and, and that kind of changes how the Timbers um, and the Dynamo are going to play in the second half. And maybe the Timbers are able to hold on, but um, Houston's goal shifted that momentum, and the Timbers. Uh, and their lineup never recovered.
0: Yeah, you know, as I was watching the the as the second half sort of went along, and and even while it was still at one one, and the Timbers were only a goal away from sort of recapturing that, I remember just sort of thinking like, how in the world are gonna are the Timbers gonna get a goal here? Because at that point, the Dynamo really started keeping their lines pretty compact. You look at what the Timbers had on the field, uh, and I you know I don't think you know I don't think Abobasi was terrible yeah I, I thought he had a, a, a few rough moments but you know I mean every game has some of those I, I don't think he made a ton of a difference so yeah I mean I, I generally agree that you know the moment was probably and and uh, maybe the, the moment is even the, the wrong way to put it but the ask uh, that the Timbers were making of him was probably just a bit too big given his, his relative inexperience given the fact that he's a guy that only played you know 317 minutes over the course of the season it was a huge ask huge ask in that game, in that moment, in that game state after it went back to 1-1 to say, we're going to need you to really help lead our line. Uh, and I, I thought that, you know, I agree that was too big for him. And and uh, and and that certainly hurt the Timbers. But I mean, even otherwise, I mean, I sort of just looked around the field and I was just like, where in the world are the Timbers going to get a goal? Diego Valeri constantly, constantly had a defensive midfielder in his lap. It was clear they were, the Dynamo were going to make somebody other than Diego Valeri beat him. And, and given who they had available, they had a, a severely hobbled Sebastian Blanco who didn't look like he could kick the ball much farther than 15 or 20 yards. So he basically just worked in, in, in link-up play. Uh, they had Darlington Nagby, who, you know, is Darlington Nagby and, and, and certainly has his virtues, but also has his deficits. And his deficits happen to be in, you know, getting goals. Uh, they had Jeremy Abobasi who, you know, I just talked about. It, it was sort of felt like it was too much to ask of him. Uh, the defensive midfield was, was David Guzman, uh, who can certainly get into the attack a little bit, but is not going to be a guy that you're going to say, oh, that guy can go and get us a goal. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and by that point, uh, they, they had moved Nagby and, and by the time they really needed it, it started out being, uh, Okugo and then they moved Nagby into defensive midfield, uh, to, to bring him Blanco. And then there was Dairon Espria and, and Espria can certainly sort of pop a goal out of nowhere at, at, at times but he's usually a guy that needs a little bit of help to do it. And he just sort of looked around and, and with the, the, the dynamo keeping their lines as compact as they were, it just didn't feel close. <laughs> and so especially once the dynamo went up two one, I mean, even though there were still, you know, gosh, about, about 20 minutes left in the game, considering there were eight minutes of stoppage time after the dynamo went up two one, uh, you know, and, and scoring two goals in 20 minutes is not unheard of uh, that. That is certainly, you know, not a good position to be in, but it's a, it's not game over by any means, but I remember when when Minota scored that goal I was just like this is that's it. Like there, there's no way uh this team in, in, is going to be able to, to to scratch back two goals and look it was because of all the absences. It was because of the the absences and the injuries and all of that. They looked at what what uh what Caleb Porter had on the bench. You looked at what the the Timbers were able to put out on the field. I mean, they put Jack Barnby on for goodness sake. And 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 so I mean that's sort of just one of those things where you're just like man this is not it's not going to happen. Uh, and I agree with you. The, the crucial moment there was, was, was that, that equalizer. The Timbers don't give it up. Uh, I think they very well could have found a second goal, uh, with the Dynamo having to come out and play with the Dynamo having to come out, uh, and, and commit a little bit and open themselves up. I, I did think the Timbers could have been, had the, 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 tools on the field, uh, to go ahead and go win that game in advance. Uh, but once the Dynamo stopped having any incentive to come out, as they did even at one one, because that would have that result would have gotten them through uh, on the away go- on the away goals tiebreaker, uh, I just thought it was impossible, and that that stinks for the Timbers quite a lot. Uh, question from Michael he wants to know why do the soccer gods hate the Timbers? Uh, this is a good question and and stems from I think all of the injuries. The one I will mention. is... Here is the one we found out about just before the lineup came out or just as the lineup came out, and that is that Roy Miller, uh, in training on Saturday, ruptured his Achilles tendon, which is like the final poke in the eye in uh, a season in which the soccer gods uh, repeatedly poked the timbers in the eye, among other places. Uh, So, yeah, why do the soccer gods hate the timbers, Jamie Goldberg? What did they do to deserve this?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think there is an element of bad luck to all of this, and I, these, that essentially comes in waves. I, I mean, you look back in 2015, this Timbers stayed relatively healthy and uh, throughout the season in one MLS Cup. So so hopefully this comes somewhat in waves and the injury bug will uh, at some point disappear. That said, I, I think the fact that there's been injuries, uh, considerable number of injuries in each of the last two seasons, isn't all about luck and we, we can't keep saying it's all about luck anymore. I mean, this has to be at least somewhat attributed to the sports science and and, and the training staff. And um, the sports science staff is there to make sure guys are uh, getting the right load workload at training, not overdoing themselves um, and putting them in positions to get overuse type injuries during a long season. And and the training and medical staff is there to make sure that the guys can get back on the field in a timely manner um, when they are dealing with injuries. We, we saw with Ridgewell, we saw with Audie this season, timelines consistently changing. We saw a re-injury uh, with Ridgewell, and, and, and those are problematic. You you look at those and you wonder, why is the training staff not getting this right on, on the first go-around? And, and then you look at an injury like Miller's Achilles and, and wonder, could could the sports science staff ha- have recognized the workload was too much, that that maybe a guy of his age needed some more breaks or, or are, are the staff there missing something and, and leading to this. So I, I think there is an element of bad luck here and, and it sucks. And, and it's not the way you want to see a team go out just based on injuries. You you want to, if they go out, you want to say, um, you know, the the other team was better on that day, not just that they were so depleted they couldn't compete. Um, so there is that element of bad luck, but a, a, at the same time, I, I think, Once we look back at the season and we recognize the problems with 2016, I I think a big question in this offseason is going to be what went wrong with the training and sports science staff and what needs to change.
0: I agree with everything you just said, and so I'm going to pivot a little bit. Uh, And I'm going to pivot to there was was sort of this fanciful notion going around, especially among some of the national media uh, after the game on Sunday. Uh, where it's kind of like, yeah, the Timbers had a lot of injuries, but the Dynamo did too. The Dynamo were without Leonardo, uh, a guy who has started a good number of games for them at center back this year. Uh, they were also without DeMarcus Beasley, their left back, and then A.J. De La Garza, their right back, in addition, of course, to Tyler Derrick, their goalkeeper. That is, you know, I mean, that that is, in in complete fairness, not an insignificant number of injuries. Uh, you know, I don't think it hurt him as much in central defense, but, you know, I mean, certainly the two fullbacks would have been upgrades from their... From their uh, relative replacements. Derek had been hot, uh, and and you know, although Willis certainly acquitted himself well, I I I think you probably uh, can't look at much in that game and say, oh, Tyler Derek makes that save, but Joe Willis doesn't. Um, but you know, I mean, they they did definitely have injuries, but there was this this idea that the, there was somehow some level of equivalency between the two. That I mean, I, I just find I'm trying to find a nice word utterly ridiculous just completely preposterous, totally brainless, maybe, uh, <laughs> to even say that there is anywhere near uh, equivalency between between the Timbers' uh, in- injuries and the Dynamo's injuries. I mean, if you were to ask Wilmer Cabrera, would you trade Portland's injuries for your injuries right now? I mean, if you were to take, I don't know, like yank Albert Elise out of there, may, yank uh, Kubo Torres, uh, no, you, you're not going to be able to have maybe uh, Juan David Cabezas uh, you've got to get rid of, get rid of, uh, Machado, uh, you know, and maybe one or two other guys. Do you, do you, do you think Wilbur Cabrera would have said, oh yeah, okay. I'm really glad we get AJ De La Garza back. Uh, I mean, no, it's ridiculous. I mean, there were so many different ways to look at this, but I mean, it boils down to, for me, the fact that you look at where the Timbers injuries were and they were up and down the spine. Fernando Adi, Darren Maddox, you've got two strikers there. Uh, Sebastian Blanco, a guy that plays centrally as sort of an inverted winger. He is certainly sort of a a, a part of the court. Diego Chara, arguably the, the Timbers sort of like mid, midfield linchpin without whom they have now not won 13 consecutive games. Uh, Roy Miller, a guy that absolutely would have started, but only because, that's right, Laris Mabiala was also out. Two central defenders, two important central defenders that as a result of the the the, the Chara- uh, Miller and Mabiala uh, absences, the Timbers were playing their fourth center back and fifth defensive midfielder. I mean, the, the, the idea that you can sort of say, oh, you know, it was pretty even, the Timbers still should have won, seems crazy to, to me. And, and it, you know, it, it all sort of boils down to support the, the, the idea from these folks that, that the Timbers still should have come away with, with the series win. And I and I, I agree that the Timbers could have, that even the way the game played out, uh, with the Timbers getting that first goal, it it absolutely they absolutely could have done it. If they don't give up that disappointing set piece, uh, it, it could have very well gone differently. And and there's nobody to blame but that other, other than the Timbers, right? You know, I mean set pieces have kind of been an issue, and, and 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 giving that up that one was absolutely brutal. But there's no way I would go say that the Timbers should have beat the Dynamo in that series in light of all of those injuries. I mean, this isn't a bad team. The Timbers were playing; they weren't playing the freaking Colorado Rapids. I mean, you can't just gut a team of half of its core—at least half of its core. I think you could make an argument that it's more than half of the Timbers' core, and expect them to beat in a two-leg series a another good team in MLS. And the, the Dynamo—I mean, the Dynamo finished the, the regular season three points behind the Timbers. It's not like the there was such a gulf between these two teams. Uh, they, they, you can really say that. And, and in many ways, I think it's sort of oddly and maybe unintentionally just dismissive of the dynamo and disrespectful of the dynamo. Um, so, you know, I, I, I didn't buy that whole line. What was your sort of take on, on that kind of talk? Uh, and on the, the talk of equivalency between the, the two teams injuries. Am I, am I off base there and being a homer?
1: No, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I, I think it, the Dynamo were, you know, pretty depleted in, in their defensive uh, uh, part of the field. Um, but they had the rest of their team intact and, and they were essentially using backups on defense, whereas the Timbers, like you said, you know, had kind of were, were getting down their line um, in, in terms of their depth chart. They they were going not just with their backup, but their fourth, fifth guy on the depth chart. And on top of the defensive injuries, they had the injuries at Ford and defensive midfield and winger. It was all across the field. I don't think there's an equivalency there. I think the dynamo certainly were depleted um, maybe in the first game. A, a, I mean, not even really it, the, the timbers were in a, just a different story than the dynamo and um, what they were dealing with it. And, the amount of core players that weren't on the field.
0: Yeah. Frankly, if the Timbers had come away from that series with a win, if the Timbers had advanced on Sunday, I would be sort of sitting here just being like, how, how did they do that? Even though I, you know, I was predicting it. And even though, you know, I mean, yes, you, you know, you, (laughs) on a micro level, you'd say, Hey, well, you know, they won a game at home. they have been good at home. The Dynamo have struggled at times on the road. Like none of that is altogether surprising, and even you know being able to pull out that one game isn't altogether surprising, but I think given a couple days' space, I would have stepped back and been like, "How in the world did they find a way to advance in this series with so with with all of these absences, with just this? I mean, perfect storm almost uh, of of injuries that, that, that hit them. I, it would have been it would have been really, 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 really impressive if the Timbers had come out of that." Uh, with a win. They could have. It's disappointing they didn't, but I, I'm i not going to go anywhere near saying <laughs> the Timbers should have won. Uh, okay. That's enough about the Timbers and the Dynamo. I don't think people want to hear a whole lot more about that. So we're going to move on and we're going to go enter in, into off-season mode. Uh, and we're going to do that through a fun game of Stays or Goes. Uh, basically, I'm just going to, you know, name a player. And you are going to say whether you think that player stays or goes, you know, and like a little bit about, you know, why you think that is the case. We're going to start with everybody's favorite. This is one. This is somebody who is now just like an annual uh, participant in stays or goes uh, Darlington Nagby stays or goes, Jamie. I,
1: I think he stays. I, I think if the Timbers get a really good offer for him, they, they will entertain it like we saw last season. Um, but I think Nagby still adds a lot for the Timbers in, in what, in kind of the system they use. And with Blanco on the other wing, they're not, they don't need Nagby to score quite as much as they may have wanted him to in previous years. He's versatile, he he brings a lot in transition. I just don't see the Timbers wanting to give Nagby up uh, unless they have a really, really good offer. And I don't know if there's going to be an offer that's good enough um, for the Timbers to get rid of uh, Nagby given what he continues to bring to their lineup.
0: I'm going to say stays as well. The only uh, additional point I make is one thing to watch in this regard is the way MLS. We have Paul Tenorio reported this week, and it's been sort of hinted for a while uh, that MLS is is likely to be changing the at the cap of general allocation money you can derive from a transfer. If that goes up, uh, I think it could become more likely that he goes uh, but as of now, it, it it and I should not only say, it's not just if it goes up, but it's how much it goes up. Uh, that could change sort of the calculus. But as of now, uh, I think it is overwhelmingly likely that he stays. Liam Ridgewell.
1: My answer to this would have been different just a week ago. <laughs> um, I think he stays at this point. And I think this is going to be a tough decision for the Timbers because I don't necessarily think that's the ideal Option, I I think given the amount of time he's missed due to injury in the last two years, he he missed 12 games in 2016. He missed 19 games in 2017. He's not worth the contract. He's on uh, given the salary cap. He is under contract heading into next year, but the Timbers could have looked at ways to maybe could look at ways to maybe uh, still get still not bring him back if they didn't want to um, next season. But given Miller's injury, I think it just they have too many changes they would have to make at center back if they got rid of Ridgewell and they no longer had Roy Miller next season. Uh, So I think Miller's injury really complicates what the Timbers could and might have wanted to do with the center back position. So I think that's a position they will definitely be open to and be scouting and looking into. But at this point, I'm thinking uh, Ridgewell will be back next season.
0: I disagree. I say goes. Uh, I agree that it's a difficult decision, and I don't think this is a foregone conclusion by any means, but I actually think the Miller injury makes it more likely that the Timbers will move on from Ridgewell, and, and the reason is this. Miller was a really good insurance policy for Liam Ridgewell, right? He was a reliable, uh, primarily left-sided uh, third center back that if you had Roy Miller on there and you said, well, you know, we, we can sort of roll the dice on Ridgewell a little bit. If we end up having to play Miller and start Miller in 15 or 20 games, we don't feel that bad about it. Uh, We don't, we we know that this is a guy that can get the job done, you know, at at just uh, at 32, 33 years old, that's not sort of the, you know, really, really getting onto the, the sniff, the milk carton stage for a center back in particular, you would certainly think that Miller has another uh, year in, in his legs. And so I think in some ways that would make it Easier for the Timbers for the to sort of take on the risk of Liam Ridgewell, acknowledging that Ridgewell is a good player and, and when he's on the field and healthy, he, he is worth the investment the Timbers make in him. But without that insurance policy, I just don't I, I don't feel I would rather have two bullets uh to, to find a guy that that's gonna get that right than one. Uh, and so that's where that's why, you know, I mean, I, I just don't know unless I can find somebody that I know is going to be that is going to be solid maybe it's sort of an MLS veteran guy that that, that is uh, that, that still has some in the legs that, that I can get for a reasonable price and that I know is going to be a good center back and I know uh, will, will be that insurance policy for Ridgewell maybe then you then you think about it more and, and so maybe the the sort of Miller replacement comes first before the Ridgewell decision uh, but look if, if I don't have a guy that I'm comfortable with, uh, a putting in that spot and say, and saying, yeah, my third center back might be playing quite a bit because I don't know if is gonna be able to, to be on the field. If I don't have that guy, I don't know how I can bring Liam Ridgewell back. It, it, it's just too much money tied up into it, uh and and it's way too much risk uh to take on without that insurance. And so I'm gonna go with goes here. Uh even though even though I acknowledge that it's that it's a, a difficult and I think pretty painful decision uh for the Timbers to have to make this off season.
1: Fernando Adi. I think he stays. I, I think this, as we, I, I think, discussed last week, I, I think this controversy over he ha- isn't playing because he's been sold or things like that, these conspiracy theories are, are, are completely ridiculous. I, I think he's been injured, uh, and it sounds like the Timbers, after he saw specialists in Los Angeles, came up with a pretty good plan to get him back on the field and, and had uh, felt that he would be back, and potentially even for the next series um, would be back this year if they continue to advance. So I, I think the Timbers expect him to be healthy next year. He, uh, as we learned earlier this season, they have extended his contract. They, so they don't have to worry about him being out of contract quite as soon. Uh, and given what he's done when he's on the field for the Timbers, now important he's been, I, I don't see the reason why the Timbers would move away from him just yet.
0: Agree entirely. Uh, Adi definitely stays. By the way, congratulations to uh, Adi and, and his wife, Rebecca, on, on the birth of their first child, a beautiful little girl. Uh, congratulations to them uh, on that. Please don't turn that into a conspiracy theory. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, you know we, we know that Adi is under contract more than just through next year, so there's no sort of urgent need uh, for the Timbers to go ahead and, and, uh, and, and move him uh, or, or risk losing him for free. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think everything points to, to Adi being back. And now would be, if I were the Timbers, now would be exactly the wrong time to make sort of a move of choice with Adi because, frankly, coming off kind of a weird injury that, that, that gave him a little bit less flashy numbers for, over the course of the season, uh, his value is not as high as it was even, say, last offseason. Uh, and so this would not be the time if I was just sort of looking at it from a value, value maximization perspective this would be the, exactly the wrong time to move Adi. Uh, and so I certainly expect for that reason that Adi will be back next year. Uh, I think the Timbers can feel comfortable with that. And and there's no reason that makes me think uh, there would be any reason to be concerned about, you know, the, the lingering injury or anything like that. Oh, okay. This next one really stinks, uh, but <laughs> we're going to do it anyway. Uh, you can't be like, you have to be heartless about this. So <laughs> it, this has to be totally unemotional uh, but we're going to have to do it anyway. Roy Miller uh, from a purely, you know, strictly business, nothing personal kind of perspective.
1: I have, unfortunately, uh, I feel like I have uh, experience with approaching these unemotionally uh, with Nat's whole situation last year. So let's do it again. Um, no, I don't think Miller's coming back. I, I think at his age, uh, which would be an okay age for a center back If he was healthy, uh, I I think they would have absolutely brought him back after the year he had. But given his age, given the type of injury it is, this is an injury that you don't know how he's going to come back from it. And even if he does, it's going to be somewhat late next year when he is able to come back on the field. It's just I I don't think it makes sense to invest in him when they don't know what's going to happen. And they know that at the minimum, they won't have him for a significant portion of next year
0: the the only way i could see that not happening because i entirely agree uh is if they're able to put on put him on the season ending injury list essentially immediately so that they can keep him through his contract he gets paid they get they get through his uh his rehab and then maybe he can get on the field for t2 uh toward the end of the year as he starts sort of that back end of his rehab but yeah i mean look the the earliest realistic time you you would see Roy Miller back on the field is maybe next August or September. This is a very, very significant injury. He would be at that, at that point, 33. It's, it's just very bleak. Uh, I mean, and, and it, I mean, there's nothing about it that, that, that doesn't stink. I mean, this is the one that makes you uh, want to tell the soccer gods where they can stick it. Because Miller was great for the Timbers this year. He is by a, everything I've ever heard, a really great guy, a a good professional. He has uh, speaking of uh, of great families, he is the the cutest little family, and this this happens, and it, it's just it's just the worst. Um, so we'll see. I, I mean, you, you certainly hope, and, and I, I imagine the Timbers will uh, make arrangements somehow to keep him in town to to oversee his uh, his, his rehab. I know they have some obligations in that regard, uh, but I would be shocked if they don't go sort of above and beyond those obligations uh, and keep him in town and, and, and stay in touch and all of that. How exactly that works, whether he stays on the roster, all of that, we'll see. But by and large, functionally, I don't expect to see Roy Miller playing for the Timbers next year, uh, which sucks. Yeah, that that stinks. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, Okay, this is less grim. Alvis Powell.
1: I think yes. And mostly because his salary cap hit is... Not Jamie, terrible. Jamie,
0: what, 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 what's the name of the game?
1: I think he stays. Stays Thank or goes.
0: You. Thank you very much. This, this <laughs> game is not yes or no. Right. It stays or goes. Okay. <laughs> okay, go ahead.
1: I think he stays. Uh, I think his salary cap hit puts him in a position where the Timbers can take another risk with him next year and see if he can reproduce what he did towards the end of the year. But I think the Timbers really need to... Uh, get a right back that can push Pal, And they tried to do the Chance Myers this year. That didn't work out. I, I think they should try again and, and bring someone else in that can push Pal because it is clear that when Pal doesn't stay focused and uh, lets his mind wander a little bit, gets a little bit too complacent, that, that his performance drops. Um, and at the same time, it's clear what he can do when he's focused and determined to stay on the field. So I think they need someone to push him. But I think given his salary cap hit, given his performance at the end of the season, I, I think they'll bring him back.
0: I agree with Stays, and I'm not convinced the Timbers are going to find anybody either to upgrade anybody else, I should say, aside from Zarek Valentin, who I does think provides sort of meaningful competition uh, for Powell. But I, I am doubtful the Timbers are going to find somebody that would sort of significantly upgrade from, from Valentin. And, and the reason is this. I think a the uh, the sort of center back revamp the what I've been calling the reluctant center back center back revamp because it's not a revamp the Timbers would like to do but it's one where they may have their hand forced uh, is going to be an expensive one uh, and, and is going to chew up a lot of resources and then b I think the Timbers and and this really has nothing to do with his injury but just the the reality of you know the the passage of time is the Timbers need to start, need to go out, and need to expend a good amount of resources to find an heir to, for Diego Chara this year. is going to be 32 next year, uh, as is Diego Valeri. But for Valeri, you, you don't worry about that quite as much just because the nature of his game is not terribly athletic. The nature of, of his game is not the of the type that you would expect sort of age to catch up to him quickly. That's very much the, the, the case for Chara. Chara is a guy that covers a ton of ground, that uses his pace and relies on it to be able to be in spots where he, where he wants to get to, and at some point, Father Time is just going to come take that from him. Uh, and, and so I don't know if that's next year or if it's the year after, but you certainly have to think it's coming sometime in the next year or two, uh, that things are going to become a little bit more difficult for Chara, and he's not going to be able to produce at least as much, at least as regularly as he has for the Timbers over the course of the last forever. And so I think this is the year where it makes an awful lot of sense to go out to spend money, uh, even if it, it is up to sort of the targeted allocation sort of level money, to go out and find sort of an up-and-coming player that you can basically put in and bring in to be Char as apparent. And the reason why this year is an especially convenient year for the Timbers to do that is because they have David Guzman going to the World Cup in the summer. So they're going to have a lot of minutes uh, to give away in central midfield. They're going to have minutes uh, if they were to bring in sort of a third starting D-mid uh, or, or quote-unquote starting quality D-mid to, to to sort of compete for minutes uh, and, and to be Charizera apparent, they're going to definitely have for those three guys a good amount of minutes as the season goes along. Uh, and, and so I, when I see those as being my number one and number two priorities over the course of the offseason, I just don't think there's going to be money. Uh, coming back to our original subject, I just don't think there's going to be money to meaningfully upgrade uh, or, 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 or to spend on a new right back that, that would supersede Alvis Powell. So I think Powell's going to be back. I think Zarek Valentin is going to be his primary competition, uh, and and we'll see if I'm right about that. Okay, Vitas.
1: I, th- I think v- Vitas will stay. Uh, <laughs> Good. I... I think he overall has been a a consistent left back for the Timbers. He's been, I think he fits with the system with his ability to get forward. I I think he had um, a few more injuries than the Timbers would have liked this year and and a few more uh, subpar performances than they would have liked. But overall, I I think he's pretty consistent in that spot and and has done well for the Timbers. And and like you said, um, there's not going to be a ton of money to go around. So, so even if a right back is Four or five rungs down the ladder of things that they might want to do, I, I think a left back is way, way further down that ladder. So I, I don't see um, that being a place where they can really afford to uh, make an upgrade. Uh, and I think Vitas is, is a perfectly sufficient left back.
0: Totally agree. Uh, it, it, you could see, foresee a world in which the Timbers were really happy with the rest of this roster that, and they felt like they could make a luxury move. You could see maybe them you know, poking around to see if this was a place, uh, where, where they could do that, but it's a total luxury move because Vitas has been a, a fine a good, uh, left back for them. And I don't expect that to change, uh, Victor Arboleda. This is one that's a little bit more off the map. Uh, but what do you think Arboleda stay or stays or goes?
1: I think he stays. I, I think that he, he showed uh, a, a little bit. He, he he had some decent performances for the Timbers. He didn't get a ton of minutes, um, but I, I think he showed some potential and, and I think the Timbers will keep working with him and see how they can develop him.
0: I'm going to say goes uh, just because I was disappointed uh, over the course of the season that he wasn't able to sort of earn his way into a spot where he was getting minutes. And I don't think he did anything with T2 to make me think he was, he was there. Uh, and so by and large, I, I, I think it was, uh, even though it looked promising early, uh, in, in many respects, I think it was a really disappointing uh, season for Arboleda. So it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him, him go in this offseason. Uh, and then finally, Jake Gleason, what do you say?
1: This is a hard one for me. If the Timbers go out and get a a new goalkeeper, which I think they might, uh, but I I, I think that uh, the the moves that they might want to make at center back and defense and midfield might complicate their ability to do that, then I would say goes. But because we're talking about these other expensive moves that the Timbers have to make, and given that Gleason and Adanella have both been competent goalkeepers for for the Timbers overall and have shown good moments for them. I I think this might fall in a little bit of the luxury moves. So even though I think this is one that the Timbers will seriously look at, I'm going to go with stays uh, just because I'm not sure if the Timbers are going to have the budget to go out and make an upgrade at goalkeeper. And I think they're comfortable enough knowing that these guys overall can get the job done. And even though there was inconsistency this year, they've been a little bit more consistent in past years, at least Gleason was in 2016 and are capable of being competent goalkeepers for the Timbers, both Gleason and Anella in 18. I
0: agree. Uh, we've talked about this before, so that's sort of the stuff I've said. The The previously stated remarks are the longer version. The TLDL version, too long, didn't listen version, uh, is exactly that, that I think uh, both Adanella and Gleason are guys that have shown more in the past. It's not like they're old. They're both easily, easily within their prime uh, as far as goalkeepers go. Uh, and, and and so there, there is every reason to think you can get more out of them in, in the future, given the value that both of them have and given the the pretty significant cost uh, involved in bringing in somebody that I think would be a clear, unequivocal upgrade over those guys. I, I just can't see the Timbers justifying it over other priorities. Uh, and so I, I think he stays. Uh, what I think, who I think may go, and, and what I think may change is the goalkeeper uh, coaching system that, that, that the Timbers have put together. Uh, because, yeah, look, I mean, when you've got two guys like Adonell and Gleason having sort of similar struggles uh, over the course of a season, you got to look and consider whether that's systemic rather than individual. Um, okay, that's the end of stays or goes. Uh, except one more thing goes, and that is the Providence Park East Side as you know it. Uh, Providence park expansion has begun. There is like actual construction going on on the east side, uh, as sort of just a footnote to this. If you're a holiday shopper, both the Timbers and Thorns team stores, uh, will be relocating to sort of the suites. So go to the, the, I think it's the, uh, entrance number four, which is on the Northwest side, uh, corner of the stadium. Uh, that is where the team stores will be over the course of the winter. Uh, because they the, the regular team stores will be closed for the construction of the new east side. This uh winter I don't think we're gonna see a a ton in in you know terms of sort of like visual there and and, and obvious uh changes. There will be some uh and it and it will be sort of a working construction zone even through the next through next season uh as as the timbers go along. Uh but yeah, it it started officially and and Uh, this will be a two-year project now that that we're undergoing. Anything to add to that, Jamie, as as far as what to expect over the course of the next few months and year?
1: Yeah, I I think it's five to six games in both the next season and the season after that will start on the road. So we we won't be seeing the Timbers playing at Providence Park for uh, quite some time. I assume this is also going to impact any chance of them having a preseason tournament as well. So I, I I think it's going to be a very different preseason for them. It's going to be a very dip, different beginning of the season. I, it's probably going to not be until April uh, that that we see the Timbers back in Providence Park.
0: Which you know is is sort of an immediate bummer, but I think everybody would agree is for a good purpose in the long term. Oh, uh, we've got a few Timbers questions to hit before we we move on to just a couple thorns and NWSL notes, uh, Joey. Wants to know how am I he? How am I supposed to feel, Jamie Goldberg? I know you're a journalist, and it's it's questionable whether you know you guys have feelings or whether it's sort <laughs> of like a robot uh, kind of deal. Uh, but I mean, even if you don't don't aren't able to have feelings, like you know, try to pretend like that one episode of Star Trek with Data. Try to like you know like have emotions and and if you had them, express what they would be.
1: I think Kayla Porter summed up. Uh, I, I think the feelings after the game, when, when he said, uh, he was just thinking, what could have been, uh, that's, that's kind of how the season feels. What could have been if the, if this team had been healthy, I, I think overall, it's a positive season and there's a lot to be excited about going into next year. I, I think overall, the Timbers have a good core to build off of. They have some good depth, but, but they're going to have to make some changes now that Miller is out. I, I think there's a, there's something the Timbers can build off of, it, and there's every reason to believe that this can be a team that will contend for a playoff spot next year and could make a run if, if they can stay healthy. I think it's just disappointing thinking about what could have been if they had been able to stay on the field, if they had not had these injuries, because we saw glimpses of what this team looked like at full strength this year, and it was really exciting, and we just didn't see that very often. So that was kind of the emotion I, th- I thought when Kayla Porter said that. That, that basically summed up what I thought about the season.
0: Yeah, and, and that's that's certainly part of how I feel as well. That sort of the what could have been is, is a huge question. And I've seen this expressed a few different ways on Twitter. Uh, I can't remember who said them, so apologies if, if it was you. And, you know, I, I guess I'm mentally giving you credit. Uh, but, you know, I, I saw somebody say, right team, wrong year. Uh, I think that's that, that's pretty on the money. Uh, right team, wrong year, uh, you know, and, and there are many things that, that sort of feel like they should feel better. At the same time, I, though, I I also feel like sort of focusing on that too much and focusing on the what could have been sort of is too dismissive of what actually was. I mean, the Timbers did come uh, away from the regular season on top of the Western Conference table. That is a big deal. Uh, I mean, in any other year, there would have been a very, very tangible payoff from that, and that would have been a CONCACAF Champions League uh spot. Uh, you know, any other year, I think we would have we would feel very differently about that accomplishment because it would have it would have come with something. It would have come with a a, a a big opportunity for the Timbers, you know, to prove the third time's the charm, uh getting into CCL. Only because of something completely outside of the Timbers' control. And CCL changing its format, necessitating MLS only going to two uh, qualification spots, or excuse me, USSF only going to two qualification spots over the next two years, are the Timbers deprived of that? But that shouldn't sort of cheapen or diminish uh, what the Timbers accomplished and and how we feel about that. And so it, it seems like, you know, sort of focusing on the what could have been uh, you know, is dismissive of, of at least that and what was. And the other thing is, hey, look, the Timbers won Cascadia Cup as, as sort of another thing on top of that. That's something they haven't done in, in, in a handful of years in, in, I guess, four or five years, if I'm doing my math right, since 2012 uh, in any event. Uh, and that is that is certainly something that, that you come away with and you, and you tick off as one of the boxes of, of what it takes to be a successful season. And so I think by and large, I mean, e- even getting rid of the all things considered stuff you can look at the season and say it was a good season the timbers were sort of in a, in a consistent dogfight in the west but came out on top did what they needed to do uh to to come out on top of the table uh and 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 put together what was i i think a pretty successful year but then you sort of default back to to your point of yes it was a pretty successful year it could have been a really successful year. It could have been a year uh, that could have rivaled 2015 uh, in in how it felt. And I I don't think anybody would say that they sort of come away feeling as good as 2015, definitely not, or even 2013. uh, That was sort of a, 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 you know, unqualifiedly successful season for the Timbers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really, really deeply ambivalent about it because I, I feel like I have pretty strong feelings going in both directions about how I feel. And, and, you know, I mean, to some extent, you just got to, got to embrace that. Uh, Ty wants to know based on this year's performance, are folks happy with Caleb Porter's and Gavin Wilkinson's, uh, sort of uh, performance and how they did over the course of this season? Jamie, are you going to make this our, sort of a two prong question? Are Uh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to make it the two prong question. A, are you happy? And B are people in general happy?
1: Yeah, that was, I guess, the point I was about to make. I, I wonder if people in general are happy. I, I think there's mixed emotions with fans, as there always are. I've seen some very uh, interesting, mostly ill-informed comments on Oregon Live uh, talking about uh, what they fans think. Wait, stop fans. the
0: presses. An ill-informed yes. Oregon Live comment?
1: Well, I've saw, I saw a few funny ones uh, about uh, what Porter and Wilkinson's future should be with the club based on this season. Um I I think anyone who looks clearly at the season and and is fair uh, would probably be overall happy with the performance of Porter and Wilkinson. I'm sure there are mixed emotions out there. But from my perspective, I think you do have to be happy with the the performance of of what they were able to get done. I think Gavin uh, needs to get credit for hitting the mark with some of these signings. David Guzman was in key signing. Blanco was a, obviously a key signing Roy Miller, Lawrence Olam, those, those signings were were kind of under the radar and, and ended up being a major reason why the Timbers were able to keep pace in the standings, despite dealing with so many injuries this how, year. And then obviously, how about this one? Uh, bring,
0: how about this one though? Bringing back Dairon Espria. I mean, how huge, how huge was that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's one that when I saw it, I was just like, are you kidding me? You yeah, can't I was, be serious. Why are you bringing shocked. this guy back? Whoa. Gavin won Chris zero, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I I was shocked to see Espria coming back, especially given that he left for basically attitude reasons. And that was a really interesting signing and and it paid off. The Timbers recognized that he had changed and they gave him another opportunity and that ended up being critical for them as well. I think from a personnel perspective, you have to give Gavin a ton of credit for this year because I think by and large, the Timbers got almost all their moves right. And there's been mistakes in past years, but it's only fair to criticize those if you're going to give Gavin credit when, when he does get it right. I think Caleb obviously has a say in those personnel moves as well. So he, he gets some credit for that as well. But I also think his ability to manage this roster and, and get them to play their best soccer at the end of the year, get them to finish first in the Western Conference, despite all these injuries, which are out of his control says a lot about his coaching ability. It says a lot about how he's able to manage his team. And so from that perspective, I I think that Caleb also deserves a lot of credit for this year. So yeah, I I think we're critical of both, uh, both Porter and and Wilkinson uh, when they deserve uh, some criticism, but, but I think we have to give them some credit for this season.
0: So uh, I, I would give both, grade if i were to grade both i would give them both somewhere on the scale of a's for the year uh and i don't know if it's an a minus or an a or an a plus but somewhere in there uh, i would give both gavin basically the reasons that the that you just talked about uh caleb I, i'm just going to touch on that one a little bit more because there 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 was sort of some talk going through the through the year and and there was even some time when it was uncertain where people were wondering whether uh he was going to whether he was going to survive the year uh, whether the, the Timbers were going to be able to pull it out and whether we'd be talking about whether Caleb Porter should be moving on. Look, I mean, you, when you look back at the season now, I, I think there's a non-laughable argument to be made that this may have been his best of his five seasons as, as coach of the Timbers. And the and the simple reason is all of the injuries and all of the absences that he had to deal with. This was not a year in which Porter really had any ability to kind of put his stamp on the team Uh, To really establish, you know, sort of an an identity of the team, because he spent the entire year, sort of just duct taping lineups together and trying to keep the ship afloat. And by goodness, not only did he get the ship into playoff port, uh, but he got him into the the first seed into the playoffs. That really is something else. Uh, And and yes, you know, I I agree that that Caleb Porter teams have played prettier soccer. You know, I mean, there was nothing sort of 2013, 2014 vintage in aesthetics uh there was nothing as as, as successful uh as, as certainly the run at the end of 2015 that culminated in in MLS Cup but i mean my goodness given the hand that Porter was dealt over the course of the season and 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 granted he did have more in the way of depth than he he has in years past but still given the just the turnover the constant changes seemingly every week uh a new absence to deal with a a, a new uh sort of game plan that he had to put together in in, in order to to accommodate that the, the fact that he was able to get the timbers fifty three points finish atop the western conference uh and 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 get them into a, a you know win the Cascadia Cup and ultimately come away with a successful season i think is really really good work so how do i feel uh i I think both deserve both earned their pay and then some uh over the course of the season and and frankly, I think that's probably pretty close to the prevailing sentiment there have been some so, some grumbles here and there, you know. The Timbers need more depth. Hey, guess what? The Timbers' depth ruptured, ruptured its Achilles tendon. The Timbers' depth got a concussion. Uh, the Timbers' depth, by by the way, scored a goal uh, in the in the game against the Dynamo. The Timbers were playing their depth. It's, it's not that they didn't have it. It's that they had to play it, and so it didn't feel like depth. It just felt like starters. Uh, but so yeah, I I, I reject that. There are always grumbles here and there about, about decisions and tactics. We've even talked about it over the course of the year about things that we would have done differently, you know, whether it was the, the Miller Vitas thing at left back uh, and, and all those kinds of things uh, that we talked about over the course of the year. But I think when you take a step back and sort of look at the forest and not necessarily the trees, boy, I, I have a hard time giving giving either of those guys anything other than an A for, the, for what they did over the course of the season. Sean wants to know, Merritt mentioned a kit tease in the near future. What do you hope to see? Again, you got to have hopes, Jamie Goldberg. No, You can't robot this one.
1: Wait, which which kit is this going to be a new one of? A, a secondary kit?
0: Uh, the Rose that City Red at, will be retired. I've, I've well, we know forgotten. it won't be Rose City Red. Yeah, but it's, it's going to be a new secondary kit for the Timbers this year. Uh, so it will be in place of the Rose City Red, but we know it will not be Rose City Red.
1: I, I haven't really put a lot of thought in, into what I'd like to see. Obviously, I th- I think this year's primary kit is absolutely the best kit the Timbers have had in their MLS era. They're obviously not going to replicate that, um, and it's not going to be red. I don't and I don't like white, so why not? I just don't like white. <laughs> It's probably going to be white, I would guess. Um, I, I I don't... It could,
0: could be yellow or, or gold, right?
1: could be gold. I don't know if I would like that in a, a full-on kit. I, I mean, I would definitely like there to be gold elements to this. I, I like the moving away, getting it really green and gold, moving away uh, from the previous kits. I, I think that's a big draw to the, the current primary kit. I, I'm So I'm hoping there is some uh, gold attributes to this. I wouldn't want a fully gold kit that seems a little bit much. I could live with white, but I don't, I don't love white, but I'm trying to think of what other possible options there would be. Um, so we'll see. I think you are more of the, uh, kit person of the two of us. Um, but I I would like to definitely see some gold elements to it. Um, but not, not a fully gold kit or anything like that.
0: That's that, that that's fair. I think there are ways to do gold uh that would come off just fine. I think it's hard. Uh I I think it is more likely that we will see see white and I have absolutely no problem with that. In fact, I I, I welcome it. Uh we've seen this in in recent Timbers history in the 2012-2013 uh third kits. If, the, if that was by the way a very attractive kit. Uh in my view, certainly no worse than third in Timbers MLS history as far as the the the, the quality of the kit, uh, the attractiveness of the kit. I think there's an argument to be made uh, as to second. Uh, I but I think the three are this year's primary, the the the, the 2014 2015 thirds, and then the 2012 2013 thirds uh, are the only three that are reasonably in that discussion. Um, and and, and so I, I if they go with something along in that vein, uh, I would be ecstatic. I'm I welcome the the departure or the, the diversification is a is a better way to put it from Rose City Red. Uh, I think it's nice that they're gonna that they're gonna do some things different sometimes with that with that second kit. I like I don't I don't dislike Rose City Red. I like having it sort of as an option uh, for the Timbers secondary kits uh, at times, but uh, I'm I'm also more than more than willing to look at other ideas. So uh, I I am hoping for something in the whitish category, something like what they had in the 2012 2013 thirds. You look really mad at me on the other side of the internet for saying that is unquestionably the Timber's second or third best kit uh, in the MLS era. Well, what is it? What is well, your your what is your incorrect disagreement to that?
1: Well, I I, I was just reminiscing as you were talking about. Uh, I did do a kit ranking earlier this year, and I remember. Uh, very clearly, actually, that I did not rank the white kit very high and that people were generally okay with my rankings, but then everyone saw where the white kit was ranked and basically just said no. Um, so I think you actually have the consensus. I think I'm I'm the outsider here uh, based on my kit rankings in the past. I, I, don't, I don't know what it is about white kits. I, I just don't love them. Um, well, they can but, be super boring. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's and, what it but, is and about I, I mean, And I felt that way about well, that. If do well, they
0: can be super boring and bland.
1: But I, I felt that way about that 2012, 2013 kit. I, I liked the version of it, the retro version when it was green. I, I just still felt the white was boring. I, I think I just generally lean towards white being boring. And it's very hard to impress me in that matter. But clearly, based on the responses I got from my kit rankings... Clearly, I, I I'm not in the majority, and I think a lot of fans would welcome a, a well done white kit.
0: I certainly would. Uh, there's a difference, by the way, between boring and clean or fresh, as it were. Um, not so fresh. Tobin Heath. Yeah. Well, I mean, she is like as a person. I, I would say generally like a pretty fresh individual. Uh, but she is not her She is she is not healthy in a soccer sense. Uh, It it sounds like we just found out today that she is hurt uh, and will not play in the women's national teams games against Canada uh, friendlies against Canada the this upcoming week. Uh, Do we know anything about this? Do we know anything beyond that? She's just not going to play in these games? Uh, Do we know enough to be concerned or not concerned about next next season? What do you say, Jamie?
1: Well, yeah, we we know that this is the same injury she suffered in in the NWSL championship game on October 14th. It kept her out of the it's an ankle injury um, from a tackle in that game. It kept her out of the U.S. Women's National Team games against Korea uh, in October. I, I think we had assumed she was past it because she was called into this camp. Clearly, she's not. I think it's a good sign that she was training that they felt like she was questionable. They felt good enough to bring her in, give her, give her a run out, see where she's at. I think that's a sign that she's close. And so I I don't want to be too worried about this. Uh, I think the only reason that I feel a little extra anxiety is because of the back injury this year, which was supposed to be minor and turned into something a lot, lot worse. So we'll have to wait and see based on how it's gone it does seem like it is something she's improving from and she was close and they just didn't want to push her but the the back injury just gives me that little bit of anxiety in the back of my mind
0: but the good news is is it's not the back injury yes. uh, and and that was and that was sort of i think the the first big concern that maybe popped into people's heads it was certainly the concern that popped into my head when i first saw that that she was hurt and was not going to play it was omg is the back injury back if so this could be a potentially serious situation. The fact that it's the ankle makes me think it's probably nothing to be terribly concerned about from the Thorns perspective going into next year. Uh, the big, big talking point uh, around NWSL this week, uh, the story was broken by our good friend, Richard Farley at 442. Uh, the, the Laura Harvey, uh, previously the head coach up with the Seattle rain uh, appears to be poised to be going to take a job with us soccer. Uh, and then Vlatko and who's been with FC Kansas city is going to be coming to Seattle. Jamie, what are your thoughts on the move? Uh, And is it a a job requirement up with Seattle that you wear shorts on the sideline?
1: (laughs) I I don't think that's a job requirement in Seattle, but we'll see. What is, Um, what is
0: your evidence for that? They have literally never had a head coach that does not wear shorts on the sideline.
1: That is true. It will have to They're two for two. (laughs) We will have to see uh, what (laughs) Blockco does when he gets there. I kind of doubt it. Um, But he'll wear shorts. It's He has
0: to wear shorts.
1: Yes. Well, we'll see. Um, the, with the Laura Harvey moving to use, uh, us soccer, I I think that that's probably a good move for her. That could be a good move for us soccer. I I think it's a loss for the league to you lose a coach, uh, of that caliber, but it's, I I don't think it's worrisome for the league by, by any matter. I, I think the bigger question here now is what this all means for Kansas city. I think Seattle's getting a good coach out of this, but Kansas City's obviously losing their coach, and all of a sudden, you're you're in a situation where where you're wondering what's going to happen with that organization. Richard Farley has already written about uh, what the NWSL is trying to do with Kansas City that they might be relocated in the off season. and I think that's going to be a big question for the NWSL going into next season. What's is this is FC Kansas City viable? Are are they going to move to a new market? Are there things that the NWSL can do to ensure that they that they can raise their attendance levels, that they can make make themselves more viable uh, for the future? Because that organization has just struggled uh, a lot in the last few years. So I think that is a major concern for the NWSL now and it's, you recognize that from the fact that Vlaco would want to leave, uh, FC Kansas city to go to Seattle, that organization is struggling. Um, what I'm worried about is seeing if you're going to try to see players now trying to leave FC Kansas city as well. And if it's going to be an issue for them wanting to retain players going to next year. So I think there's just a lot of questions with that club. Uh, and that's kind of added on by, by now the coaching move.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't think it raises any new questions, but it certainly amplifies the ones that were already there about Kansas City, uh, and that's certainly one of the big sort of talking points coming out of this. I mean, Vlatko was was always sort of the natural next coach that was at one of the smaller clubs to move up to one of the bigger clubs. Uh, he has consistently done a very good job uh, at FC KC, and, and so I don't think if, in in that respect uh, anybody <laughs> was surprised uh, by, by, by Seattle going to, to pick up Vlatko, given that Harvey was moving to USSF. I think that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, but, but that second part of it, Vlatko going to Seattle, I think is, is 0% surprising. You know, the other point that that people have been talking about, and I think is a very good point (laughs) to to make and and is certainly something, uh, that I, I think is, is important to be aware of is there are now no female soccer, female head coaches in NWSL. And that's that's the thing. I mean, it, it is uh, unequivocally a problem uh, in, in U.S. soccer altogether that that we do not have enough uh, female coaches at the elite, at the professional levels. Uh, there are many in, in the college ranks. There are, of course, many, many in the club ranks. Obviously, Jill Ellis is the coach in the national team. Uh, but na- I mean, look, now you've got a league where there are no female uh, head coaches. And that is that that's a, a huge problem. Jamie, what's your what's your take on that? And do you think it's something that, that we're going to see addressed pretty soon?
1: I, I, yeah, I, I think that that is something we'd like to see more of. Obviously, we have Jill Ellis on the national team level uh, leading the US, U.S. Women's National Team. I, I think it would be nice to see female coaches in the NWSL. I don't necessarily see that being addressed uh, immediately. Teams are going to go after the best coaches that they see fit. And if whether or not that's a woman or, or a man, it's unfortunate to lose one of the best coaches in the NWSL who happened to be a a female in in Laura Harvey. And I would like to see the league make an effort to bring other female coaches in, but that is going to be up to the individual teams. And I don't necessarily see a move to seeing more female coaches in, in the immediate future.
0: Yeah. I mean, if this continues though, I think there has to be because there are, there are plenty of good and qualified uh, women out there to take over an NWSL team. And I, I think the question has to be asked why we don't see that happening more. And now is a, a particularly sort of stark time uh, to highlight that issue, but it is nonetheless an issue. And I think it's one uh the, that deserves some intentional thought uh, as to how to address g- going forward. I don't, you know, I'm not going to go out and, and say we need to, to, to consider something like the Rooney Rule uh, or anything like that at this point, but Look, I mean, if there is, if there is a, a dearth of at least in executive's eyes uh, of qualified female coaches for NWSL uh, head coaching spots, we really need to think about why that is. Uh, and, and we need to think about how we, fix, how we fix it and how we fix it immediately because there's no good reason. <laughs> either, either we're not producing uh, good enough uh, female coaches. I know there are absolutely some, both in the college ranks and in the assistant ranks. Uh, or or not hiring them. And it's something that's got to be sorted out. Okay. That's the end of our show for this week. Uh, We're entering off-season mode. The Thorns and the Timbers are now in off-season, which means we're going to be somewhat less regular uh, than than we were over the course of the season. We sort of do these as news mandates. Uh, So sometimes it's, you know, it's consecutive weeks. Sometimes it's every second week. Sometimes it's every third week, especially over the holidays uh, and that kind of thing. But... Uh, we will keep doing. We will keep recording shows, of course, as news uh, pops up. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for for joining us throughout the course of the season. It's been a fun season, kind of a weird season, uh, but a, but a fun season. The Thorns, of course, being the highlight. They are champions, yeah. and they will remain champions. Uh, and, and so uh, that is the highlight. But nonetheless, uh, certainly highlights on the Timbers end as well. Jamie, thank you for a really fun season. Uh, any sort of parting comments on? on the 2017 season that was, uh, at least insofar as the the playing into the soccer goes.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I think overall it was a fun season to see what the Thorns accomplished. And I think that storyline was incredible. Uh, and seeing what Mark Parsons has done over the last two years with this team, I think that was very exciting to be there in Orlando and see them win that. And I, I think overall, from the Timbers perspective, it was an exciting season. And even though it ended in this disappointment and this early exit from the playoffs, like you said, they they accomplished some significant things. And you saw a lot of encouraging signs with the personnel they were able to bring in and, and what they looked like when they were at full strength. So I, I think this season uh, for both the Timbers and Thorns ends on a pretty positive note. And uh, I, I'm going to miss talking to you quite as uh, regularly, Chris, uh, but hopefully we'll get, we'll get a few podcasts in.
0: <laughs> yes, we definitely will. I, I will miss your company as well. Uh, we have a lot of fun recording it. Uh, I hope all of you out there now speaking, you know, not to you, Jamie, but to the audience. Uh, I hope all of you enjoy it as much as we do. Uh, it's a lot of fun for us. Uh, and I hope it is a lot of fun for all of you. Uh, we are. In case this was a, this, the last couple of minutes would have been really confusing if you didn't know this, but we are Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, you can find us now, you know, uh, semi regularly uh, on OregonLive.com and on Stockton Photo. You can subscribe uh, on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you all so much for your for your questions. Enjoy the off season. Uh, enjoy relaxing and doing things non soccer things. We will be back to talk about the soccer news as it comes and goes. Uh, but until next time, whenever that
1: may be, as always. Take care.